Welcome to the Joe Watt Podcast. I am Joe Vendramini from the University of Florida Range Cattle Research and Education Center. And today our guest is Mr. Wood Larson. Mr. Larson, thank you for being with us today. Glad to be here, Joe. Uh, Mr. Woody, can you please tell us a, a little background information about you and your business? Okay. I'm a part of the Larson family. Uh, we're in the dairy business. My dad started the dairy in 1947, so a long time ago now. Um, I have a brother, John, and I have two sons that are involved in the business. My my dad is still alive, but um, he's 95 years old, so he's not as active as he used to be. But uh, he's been a great influence on our life. We dairy farm in Okeechobee County. And we have more than one dairy farm, uh, but we've grown over the years. And, and Mr. Woody, can you tell us uh, a little bit about the history of dairy uh, in the state of Florida? Well, uh, yes, I can talk about Florida, but you know, you really kind of have to go back really in ancient history when you think about the influence of cows and milk. You can go way back to Egyptian times or Bible times. Uh, it's been pretty well documented that cows go with men. Wherever civilization goes, the cow goes. And so whether it's beef or milk, uh, it's been uh, a food for people through the eons of years. Uh, Florida is kind of two parts, really. Um, as you know, the first cattle came in uh, 1521 uh, with the Spanish that first came and explored Florida. And so whoever the first settlers were, the Spanish, uh, I'm sure they had cows, milk cows. Um, and that Spanish part of the history, people forget, it was 300 years of the Spanish occupation. Uh, before the uh, United States actually became or established Florida as a territory. Now, one of the things about milk is, you know, um, it, it's it's only good if it's fresh. Mm -hmm. uh, it it can deteriorate quickly if it doesn't have refrigeration. And back in the 1840s, there was no refrigeration, so most people had a milk cow. Uh, if people wanted milk, they had to have fresh milk, which, interesting enough, it never goes bad inside the cow. It's only after you milk the cow that that milk gets exposed. So they had milk cows. As uh, Florida began to be settled, uh, typically from North Florida and came on down the peninsula of the state, Probably in the 1800s, there might have been some uh, dairy, where, dairies would start a dairy business where they would have home delivery. Um, the glass bottle was, uh, I think it was first created in the 1800s sometime, like 1860 or something. And so that would really made home delivery possible. But that was... Uh, you know, well over a hundred years ago now. But, you know, when we first moved to Okeechobee in the early 60s, even in Okeechobee, in the town of Okeechobee, there were 
family milk cows tied out in the yard. Uh, a lot, a lot of them. I remember that I was a I was a boy at the time, but I can remember driving around with my dad, making different contacts with people, and there would be milk cows, maybe one or two on every block. That people had not given up that tradition yet of having a family milk cow. As far as more modern day, okay, uh, we uh, let, let's just say that. About a hundred years ago, it, it uh, became possible to have some refrigeration, and so people would have ice. Um, you know, once you milk the cow, you've got to refrigerate it to keep it cold and keep it good. And so once they had ice, then that made possible the home delivery. Uh, people would handle milk in milk cans. I can remember my dad handling milk in 10 gallon cans and loading them on a truck and then hauling those cans as soon as he could to the uh, milk plant that was back in the 50s and uh, then they would take the milk and process it pasteurize it homogenize it and bottle it and so forth so that was you know um, what's that 60 60 years ago we were still handling milk and milk cans so a lot has happened in the last 60 years. Now, you want me to fast forward? Yeah, okay. that would be great. All right. Well, as we came down through the decades, uh, we went to pipeline milkers so that you, you air never touched the milk or milk never touched the air. The milking machine was developed and we were able to milk cows and it went and stayed into a pipeline, went into a bulk tank that was refrigerated. So the milk got cold quickly. And that's the key to good quality is getting that milk chilled quickly. Um, then that milk was pumped onto a uh, milk truck. Uh, I can remember the first milk truck that my dad had. It was like a thousand gallon truck. Uh, and he would drive it himself to the plant down in Miami. And uh, nowadays, the modern-day milk truck is a semi-trailer, tractor-trailer, that hauls about 6,000 gallons of milk at a time. So to fill one of those up, uh, th that's the legal limit of weight that can go down the highway. The uh, advances in refrigeration and transportation, those are the two things that have really led a lot to the freshness and quality of milk that people have available to them now so and one important thing that I think happened over time now more recent uh, times is uh, do you think that we are decreasing the number of small dairies and and consolidating the dairy production in bigger business but uh, a smaller number of dairy producers uh, yes, that's been the trend uh, in the United States and in Florida for a long time. Uh, Florida, believe it or not, uh, 50 years ago, had the largest average herd size in the United States. And the reason for that was our climate. We were able to keep cows outside year-round, so we didn't need the expense of big barns and so forth. But even with that, 
um, the average herd size in Florida and other states has gone up, but there are fewer dairies. Uh, the small dairies uh, is almost a rare situation now. It used to be a thousand cows in a milk herd was a very, very large dairy. Now it's about a mid-sized dairy. And I would say anything under 500 cows would be considered smaller now. Mm -hmm. And uh, you touch on the uniqueness of the Florida climate. So can you please describe a uh, few technologies that help us to be able to to have efficient dairy production in, in this climate here in Florida? Okay, well you're you're probably talking about, you know, heat heat stress and humidity those things kind of work against uh, a dairy cow and certainly uh, we have that weather in Florida. It also works for them in terms of we can grow a lot of forages here year-round. But let's talk about the challenges. The idea of uh, cows, as they give more milk, they create more heat, body heat, because they're eating more feed and they're making more milk. So with advances in genetics and um, different breeds of cows, typically a Holstein cow, Most people think of dairy cows as being a big black and white cow. That's a Holstein cow. And they are like, uh, in uh, the nation, they're about 95% of the dairy cows are Holsteins. Anyway, they produce the most milk. And as they produce milk, they create heat. And then when you already have a hot, humid day, it, it makes it tough to produce even more milk. So some of the technologies in, that have been developed to deal with heat stress are uh, shade barns, shade and ventilation, and um, uh, cooling, where we would have evaporative cooling where the cows might, it's kind of like going to a swimming pool or walking in the sprinkler out in your yard and getting wet and then having walking in front of a fan or you know how you feel when you go in a swimming pool and get out your body immediately cools down because a little bit of air across your body cools you down it's the same principle to cool cows down we um, spray some water on them and and air and then that helps cool them cool them off And, and could you please mention about some current new technology that have been developed um, um, or you think it's technology that is needed uh, in the industry for us to be more efficient? Something that probably ring the bell or something that we need to work on? Well, you, a lot of the heat stress work has, has been done, I would, I would say. Um, a lot of it at the University of Florida, I would say probably half of the research in the world has been done at the University of Florida. And that and it continues to attract students and researchers because of our unique climate. Uh, those principles that they learn can be applied in other places in other countries, as well as other uh, temperate places in, in the United States. In terms of other technologies or research that's needed, uh, we our strength in Florida is a long growing season. We have good climate for growing crops. 
but our soil is not the best. It's pretty, pretty sandy. So developing varieties of crops that would uh, yield more milk. When you think about it, a cow really um, takes whatever you put in her and feed and converts it to whatever she's good at, which a dairy cow, she's good at producing milk. So it's the efficiency of feed to milk that's important. And it's, I always say efficiency is always in style. It doesn't matter what kind of efficiency you're measuring. It's always a good thing to work for efficiency. So we need to continue to work for, you know, better quality feed or forages that our cows eat. And I'll switch the conversation uh, in going more to the market situation right now. So can you please give us an update? What is the market situation for, for milk? In the United States now? Okay, in uh, marketing, uh, one of the things that's unique about milk is it's harvested every day, it's sold every day, and it's consumed every day. Um, I talked a little bit about that milk being fresh, and milk needs to be fresh. Uh, we've made some real strides in milk quality and improving the shelf life of milk so that when you go to a store and buy a, a gallon of milk, uh, you look on there and you see the expiration date basically. And usually that's a couple weeks now. It used to be like a week, but now we've improved the shelf life. Now in terms of marketing, uh, since we produce it every day and we sell it every day, we just have to keep moving it. You don't have, you don't have room to stockpile milk on the farm. It has to move. And that's the case everywhere, not just in Florida, but other states too. So if there's an excess of milk in other places, we have developed transportation to the level that milk can move. And so if there's extra milk in other states, then they like to move it into Florida because it's a higher class one price. Usually class one brings more money. And so that's an attract, an attraction for them. And they think they'd like to move milk into Florida. So it's a lot of competition for our locally produced milk. We, uh, we believe that locally produced milk is the, obviously the freshest and the best because you're not burning all that carbon driving milk down here into Florida. So we're, we're, uh, we're trying to compete with that, but it is always a challenge. Another problem too right now, Joe, is um, some other beverages, what I call nut juice, okay? It's hard for me to call it milk, but people might have soybean extract or almond that uh, is competing with cow's milk. And do you see any strategies that we are doing right now to try to improve consumption or to change transportation approaches that will be better for every producer in the country? actually to to place their milk? 
Well, yeah, you, you really kind of asked two questions there. I'll mm-hmm. try the first one. The, um, the idea of education of people and the nutrition value of milk, but that's been ongoing for a long time. Uh, people, um, I think they take milk for granted mm-hmm. and they don't realize all the nutrient profile of milk. You don't really think of milk as being a source of protein, but it is. And it's a very uh, inexpensive source of protein. Now, on the other hand, you, milk products like cheese, you understand that's a high protein uh, f- food. So milk and dairy products are g- high in nutrients. And I think just continued education, especially to young people in school systems and so forth, they need to know the value of milk. As far as the what can be done in other places, um, you know, we, it's not a protectionist move at all, but I know there's been a change in the uh, DOT rules on trucking, and so it kind of limits how far milk can travel without having a second driver. If, if they're going to keep driving, they have to sleep, they have to rest. And the reason that's done is for safety for everybody that's out on the road. You don't want the drivers being uh, overworked and too tired. But that does add expense to moving the milk. So if the expense is higher to bring milk in, then it just makes sense that it's a little harder to get it to way down in the south end of Florida. And Mr. Wood, we are going towards the end of our interview here today. Um, we'd like to ask you when you were not at work, and and I think you may not have a lot of uh, time left. But uh, is there any hobby that you you do it or eventually do it? <laughs> uh, well, you know, one of the things about the dairy business is very confining. It is 24-7. I mean, you know, I know it's popular to say 24-7, but dairy farming really is because they have to be milked at least twice a day. Some cows are milked three times a day. And they're fed and they're taken care of around the clock. So we're fortunate to have a lot of good people. I uh, I have a great family, and, and I'm old enough to have some grandchildren now, so I'm enjoying watching them and some of their activities. Uh, some of their activities inc- include showing cows and being at cow shows and that kind of thing, but also playing sports, softball, baseball, that kind of stuff. That's uh, good for me. Uh, I guess if, it's not really a hobby because uh, I do have beef cattle, and a day with my beef cattle is almost like a day off for me. Mr. Woody, I would like to thank you for your participation in the podcast today. I am Joe Vendramini. Joe what? <laughs>